This is the Wandering Berry Center podcast. I am your host, Brian. Over there is Alex. Welcome, everybody. I don't have to feel like we're coming back after an unplanned break. I won't call it a break. We didn't plan to go away, but... Life. (laughs) Life happens. Sure does. Yeah, it was a busy busy couple weeks, Mm -hmm. but... Um, yeah, shake the cobwebs off, and here we are. <laughs> I don't have any. I didn't prepare any rants or anything like that. Things are crazy right now, but that's way too political, too. Yeah, we don't have to go there. Um. Yeah, no, I, I think we should. Uh, we should just get right to it. All right. Well, um, I had been meaning to do a form of this for a little while. Uh, an update on a couple things. There is. There has been some really cool uh, space news recently Ooh, space news but there's a particular topic that i wanted to start with because i was reading about it um, okay. it's, it's one of the pieces of news but it's it's definitely a cool one um but i i prepared much more on the one and then just got some updates on the others okay um first off actually sorry let me jump uh did you know where the berry center of between the moon and the earth is um I don't know if I couldn't remember if you'd ever looked it up. No, I guess I don't. I mean, well, how? What kind of answer are you expecting me to give? Like distance well, the, between the two, or yeah, the definition of the bear. Yeah, yeah. The. I mean, the, I the guess I space. would. Im- yeah. Imagine that it's. I'm going to give you a bias. I think it's closer to the Earth than it would be to the Moon, right? Yeah, it's actually inside the Earth. Really? Oh, yeah. well, that makes sense. Well, it's right? right because the Barry Center's got it masses involved. Well, because the Earth is not rotating around the the moon. Moon at all. It's completely yeah. The moon rotating around the Earth. It's about um if you were to take the total distance from the surface to the core of the Earth, it's about 25% mm-hmm. down. Huh. So that's why we get tides. Yep. Well, at because least it's moving closer and further away. Right. Yeah, so I just uh I thought that would be the podcast being named what it is and all. Well, that's very appropriate of you. <laughs> um so the the big one is Planet 9 or Planet X. Have you heard of this? Oh, one? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've heard Planet 9. Okay. Um can I just say what I know about it? Yeah, of course. Cuz it's very low. Um I know that it's like I forget what the percentage. I want to say a quarter of the size of Pluto. Something to that to that effect. No, 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 no. Other direction. Way other direction. Really? Yeah. You might this not. This is the one that was recently discovered. Oh no, no. Uh, oh. We haven't found this one yet. Actually, I think I know what you're talking about, though. It's part of the story. Okay. All right. Well, I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I just heard some some news within the last week or two about them discovering a. Some sort of celestial body that's apparently orbiting, um, you know, in our solar system, but it's like way out there, and it's a rock even compared to Pluto. Yeah. Okay. So those are actually called uh, trans-Neptunian objects (TNOs). Cool. Nice. They are referring to just objects that are past Neptune. <laughs> what? Why is that the bar? Uh, well, because after Neptune is Pluto, and Pluto was recently. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah annexed so the re- the reason being is somebody found a tno larger than pluto and said okay. well if that's if pluto's a planet then this is a planet 
mm-hmm. the thing is, is there are tons of these things out in what's called mm-hmm. the Kuiper Belt, which is a big, you know, there's a asteroid belt in between us and Mars. Yeah. Yep. There's a gigantic one past Neptune. Okay. It's called the Kuiper Belt. What's the name of the one that's closer in between us and Mars? Oh, I forgot. Do you know? Um, hmm. I do not. I didn't know that one. So it's, and I would have, I actually missed the one that you're talking about in terms of news. So I did not hear about them describing a new one of these, but I'm not entirely Mm -hmm. surprised that they did. Uh, Yeah, it was, it was a lot smaller. That I know for sure. The number, I I don't know if 25% is accurate, but I know it was a fraction of the size and we're talking like its orbit is, I don't know if it was more than 200 years, but it was like. It was a long ass time. Like it's it's out there. I'm gonna blow your mind then. Okay, I'm ready. So Planet Nine or Planet X is uh-huh. what seems to be more and more likely uh, a ninth planet, a big one that's rotating in our solar system, but really really far away. Like it's got a mm. gigantic orbit. And they somebody in twenty well not somebody Chad Trujillo and Scott S Shepard in 2014 they proposed that this planet existed mm-hmm. um they noticed a bunch of these tnos had a an orbit that they all basically pointed in the same direction for to put it as simply as possible obviously space is 3d so <laughs> that's not more so, right potentially <laughs> exactly um so but in terms of you know orbits they were very similar and so mm-hmm. something with a large enough mass to affect these things would have to be, you know, it just made sense that they would be, or something very massive rotating out there would have made sense in terms of why these orbits were all so similar of these objects. Okay. So we haven't found it yet. It's just hanging out out there. We, well, we think, um, and obviously in the, uh, community there's, uh, debate on whether or not it's actually there. So you're saying, you're saying the re the, the way they're able to make this prediction is because it, it, is large enough to be affecting other orbits? Correct. Of these okay. TNOs, p- these Pluto-sized... Uh, Ones that we are sure are there. Yes, absolutely. Okay, got and it. So I'm going to send you... Just making sure I understand. ...on the Discord. Um, if you take a look at that, so... Oh, that's beautiful. It's the green ring. Alex is now looking at a um, an it's orbit an orbit map. map. Yeah. Yep. So the, the large green ring, which the... this I have a problem with this because there's no way these orbits are in a plane like it's shown here. Right. This is a 2D yeah. top down view, yeah. uh, depending on what you call top. <laughs> so it's the light green Wait, uh, on the left greens on the left, okay. the large the big one on the left, the large yep. one on the left. Yeah. OK. So, yeah, Planet Nine is was proposed by these guys. And since then, it's just become more and more likely. There's a couple things that if you were basically with computer models, if you map the orbits of all these different things and then you yep. throw a planet nine in there, uh-huh. it makes sense. And it's okay. not just That's for the so orbits of these cool. things, but there's a, there's a couple other uh, questions that a, a planet like this could answer, if you will, you know, these astronomical questions, astrological. So, I mean, obviously all these things are interacting with each other, very center. For sure. I mean, that's where that's <laughs> coming from, right? But right. still, the the sun has to have enough gravitational pull to, to bring these things in. I'm just surprised that the, mat, the size and, you know, the 
the width of some of these orbits, like this, the orange one way out to the left there, like how that's able to not just get flung out in the space. But I guess it's the timing of all the other ones pulling it into. Well, it'd be a lot of things, but the mm -hmm. you'd be surprised. The well, let's let me put it this way: if the sun was able to impact these TNOs, uh, which again are like just Pluto-sized rocks, essentially, mm -hmm. they're not. We don't call mm -hmm. them planets anymore. Um, it's just something that's in orbit. And huge, really though, but to. they're like, <laughs> you know, it'd be a bad thing if they came near us. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, the sun is so massive and so far away, though, that the orbits of these things, you know, if it, if it was able to impact the orbits of all these ones, why wouldn't it pull in everything? Yeah. So there's got to be a more local gravity source, basically, to mm. impact these orbits in such a, relatively speaking, if you think about, you can't really tell, but if you think about how far away the sun is, these orbits are tiny. They're, they're to uh, Yeah, sure, in the grand scheme of things. Right. But look at, I don't think the Earth's orbit is even really visible on this, right? No, not even close. Because the others are so far out that it becomes microscopic, essentially. <laughs> Right. Pixel density is not enough. But it's all relative, though, because we're all all these planets and all these things are still moving in the same general direction around mm -hmm. the sun, right? So. Yeah. So to put it into perspective, there's something called an astronomical unit, an AU, and it's the distance between the sun and the Earth. Right? Hmm. So, okay. It's just a baseline. Um, right. So these Neptunian objects are, let's see, where would I put it? Side note, real quick. Yeah, yeah. If I ever start my own car company, <laughs> I'm naming the models after these. We've got GT50, RX245, TG420. I mean, these are just like, everything's <laughs> alphanumeric in numbers now. So FT28, that's a good one. No, this is actually a really cool map. It's a, Yeah, it's quite neat to look at. Mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't see where I put it, but I have it as far as the planet is. I was going to put in perspective how far away Neptune is versus this planet. but um, mm -hmm. So this planet is potentially 10 times, in order for it to mathematically fit into the puzzle in terms of how yeah. it impacts the or orbits and all that, we can estimate, you know, things about it. Its size, yeah. Right. So it's potentially 10 times the mass of Earth and between two and four times the diameter. So hmm. quite... How do you get diameter? I can understand the mass. I thought about that. gravity, but... I don't know. Maybe hmm. there's a there must be a statistical... Uh... Probably some correlation just using existing... Right. right, exactly. We know the size... We know the mass and the size of Jupiter, so you can kind of correlate that to other... Right. Um, so it's thought to have a pretty elliptical orbit, um, mm -hmm. so quite oval-shaped, yeah, right? Yeah, it's pretty egg-shaped, actually. Yeah. So, I mean, compared to, compared compared to, the to ones, some of the cylinder other ones. Yeah, yeah, which is the natural thing for um, smaller objects compared to a much more massive object. Hmm. You know, their, their orbits are going to be impacted quite dramatically, so you see how all the ovals are really tight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this one's interesting. It's the... None of the others on here are like it. Are like it because this they all get close to Earth at one point. Or Earth, the Sun. Um I guess Earth relatively speaking too, but this is the only one that 
I don't know how big the grid is on here, but it's three squares away at its closest point, roughly. Right. Where the other ones are right up next to it in the picture. I'll put this on the Instagram, I think. This yeah, is, this is it's cool a cool to look one. At. It's the uh, oh, image from Wikipedia, so it should be. Okay. Um, so it has an average distance of 700 AUs. So 700 times the distance from that we are from the sun, mm. it, it is from the sun, mm. um, which is 25, I'm sorry, 20 times further than Neptune is. So it's, it's way out there, Damn. even even relative to Neptune. But it can come, co come as close as 200 uh, AU or mm. go as far out as 1,200. Damn. Yeah, it's pretty wild. What's preventing us from detecting it? Um, so it's quite dark and so far out there that it just doesn't reflect a lot of light and yeah. our, we're just having a hard time finding it. Mm -hmm. I think also part of it would be a lot of the way that we do space research is we point our telescopes to a spot in the sky that we just see stuff and then mm -hmm. we study what's in that picture. For sure. Yeah. Rather than going and looking for a specific thing. Do you have an estimate of its, um you know, revolution time? Or... Yeah, I would think that's another yeah. thing that makes it very hard to find. Uh, they're thinking its orbit lasts between 10,000 and 20,000 years. Holy fuck. As opposed to 365 <laughs> days. <laughs> that's intense. <laughs> Whoa. Right? Yeah, I mean, little... it, it sound, it's crazy to us, but if you think about it, it's just one of those relativity things. Like, let's pretend that there's people on that planet. They would look at Earth and figure out that we were ripping around the sun at 365 <laughs> days. They would be like, are those Damn. people, like, throwing up constantly? Like... <laughs> That's true. How are do they those just people being stand sucked it? to the Earth? <laughs> Where do they see strong as fuck compared to those people out there on F9. That's a, that's a great point. <laughs> They need no. Oh, I guess they don't really know what gravity is like, but probably low, right? Well, it's pretty massive, though. Mm -hmm. Just so I don't know. Yeah, that one I don't networks. have a number for. Um, it's how about FT seventy two? FT seventy two. Top right, that motherfucker oh, that's yeah. not even on the map anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. So, um, the speed, the 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 bigger the orbit. If mm. you imagine the speed right as it at it, jeez, at its, at its apex, closest point, right? It right. must be flying. It's ripping by, dude. <laughs> Millions. I don't even know, actually. Thousands yeah. and thousands of miles per second. Like an unfat like, speed that's not even worth saying because you can't comprehend it, really. Pretty much. <laughs> it's it's the type of speed that requires scientific notation. Like that's Definitely. why that exists. <laughs> <laughs> the first guy was like, dude, I'm not writing this. I'm not writing all those zeros. <laughs> we don't even know it's right. Just average or just estimate that. <laughs> um, so yeah, the planet is potentially or well, they think uh six hundred times less luminous than Pluto. So the amount of it only oh. reflects like five percent of the light that hits it. And I'd imagine it being so far out there that it's already getting a lot less light than right. something. And I just realized I, I combined statistics. That was in my head, the 5%. That's because it's from a different... Oh. So ignore the 5%. Uh, that's for a different rock we'll talk about. 
It was just in my head. And it's I, not that I, rock. But yeah. it's, it's reflecting. It's getting a lot less light, and it's, it's also reflecting a lot less. Right. So do we have, like, a, a theory on what its surface might be like? This is no. a solid planet or a gaseous one? No idea. Really. Hmm. Um, so let's see how potentially it was created, um, or at least not necessarily created because we know really nothing about it. Once we see it, we can definitely determine a few things about it. Um, but how it got there is interesting because it's different from the rest of, uh, it's very unique orbit and all those things. So it's Mm -hmm. possible that it was ejected from another galaxy and we just sort Mm -hmm. of captured it. Yeah. Um, so our sun, yeah, you know, this, that's that's really interesting. I'm thinking about, um, you know, things coming in and being captured by our solar system and and end up orbiting. But um, while that's happening, you know, it's going to affect the system as a whole. This, I mean, just looking at this picture, you realize how, you know, these things are all playing with each other. So as one comes in, that might throw off the orbit of. Absolutely. One, two, three, four, however many others, and that could send them flying. So, like, yep, I don't know. It's just a very connected system. In fact, I would argue that the large uh, F FE seventy two, that big one, probably mm-hmm. got accelerated by uh, Planet Nine potentially. Well, you know what else I just thought of? The orbit is so long, and we've been studying this for so not long that it's possible that this thing could be in orbit and not even make a full revolution before it's ejected again. Correct. Sure. You never know. It could start and then it gets, starts getting close to, I don't know, GT 50 there. And, and all of a sudden it's, it's thrown off again. And I don't know, maybe I'm oversimplifying orbits, but well, I mean, I don't think so because ultimately there has to be a moment in time where events start to take place. So if there's a, if there's a galaxy out there that we're on a collision course with, Mm -hmm. In, in to be dramatic, um, yeah, absolutely. It could anything, yeah. you know, we could get pulled out of orbit. Um, mm-hmm. It's been so long that it's come by that maybe the next time around, since we kind of don't know where it is, maybe the next time <laughs> it comes around, it does some really bad shit. Right. <laughs> Do we know? Okay, so, uh, yeah. Hmm. Do we know where on its path it could be right now? No, no, I don't yeah, think so. Think well, so. actually, that's not true. Um I, I suppose I should say I don't have the notes, but a couple of things I, I read and whatnot—they are—they seem to be pointing the telescopes in a general direction. So, mm. um, that's crazy. <laughs> maybe there's probably a, a educated guess as to where uh-huh. it is. I bet you could guess based on if you if you told the computer models that you have, you know, all in these orbits, tell me where Planet Nine is. I suppose yeah. that's probably possible, or at least you could guess. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, excuse me, jeez. <laughs> they they think that the current orbit was likely, and actually, now that I say this, I bet they do have a guess where it is. Um, they think that Jupiter was at one point involved in setting the orbit the way that it was. The planet nine and Jupiter at some point in its revolution would have come come pretty close to each other. <laughs> they collaborated <laughs> together. That's right. <laughs> so. That means Jupiter's orbit was probably different. Could have been, yeah. I mean, no, no. I, would, I guess no orbit is a set in stone thing. No, probably, not really. They're probably constantly changing, right? Yeah. Because they all interact with each other. Cool. Well, I think, well, constantly changing maybe isn't the right word. Because, well, 
that's not that is the case but also you know things take so long as you said you can you can we could we're pretty good at uh mapping out the, at least the ones that are on the screen you know we, mm -hmm. we track them and we know where they're going to be relatively speaking yeah forward and back quite a while i would imagine yeah I'm, i guess the way i'm looking at it is looking at this grid right here and these um tnos right yes trans neptunian objects <laughs> great name um if we were to just like capture all this and put it in a box it would be a you know everything's in equilibrium right nothing would ever change right these orbits would exist the way they exist and that's great but then out in the real space that's not nothing's constant so um that's i guess just why i'm thinking that they're they're probably always changing even if it's so minute that you know, we can draw these maps because it's not going to be changed in a significant manner for 10,000 years or whatever. Yeah. No, I think you're, you're onto it. It is until something really big that we didn't see comes, you know, comes by maybe even for the first time. That's, mm -hmm. that's when things get interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, another thing that it, uh, potentially explains is, um, all the planets, our, our current planets that we know about, you know, our little solar system, they're on a uh, six degree tilt relative to the sun. And what do you mean relative to the sun? Uh, I guess if you were, you'd have to take um, our planets are somewhat aligned, right? With the sun. Mm -hmm. um, if that line, if you were to then draw a horizontal axis across the sun from it, there's a about a six. So you're talking about the axis of rotation of the sun, yep. spinning. Yeah. Take that axis, a perpendicular line through exactly. that, or yeah, six degrees off of it. Yeah. Okay. That's a much better way to describe it. Thank you. Well, because I mean, yeah, that makes the you, Earth it's all is, relative. Is, yeah. or I mean, the the sun's flying through space, sure, but we got to think <laughs> about it as a point, a plane. right? Right. Um, so that's I, people's far smarter than me. I didn't track this part down, but apparently that's strange. Normally, I guess the expectation is that most things are aligned along that, um, plane. And if they're not, okay. you know, there's not a lot of consistency to it. So it's the fact that all the planets are, are done that way. Mm -hmm. Um, it's every planet is about six degrees off. Apparently. Yeah. So we're all rotating in the same plane. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. So, Planet Nine mathematically could cause that. That would that could explain things, uh, and and we don't currently know why the the six degree tilt is there. And again, how many other samples though do we have to say that everything being in the same plane is normal? It's a good question. I mean, it's not like we've ever been to another solar system <laughs> to observe it, so all of its well probably quite an educated guess it's still technically theoretical yeah i would think yeah yeah i don't know hmm. so yeah i think uh that's most of planet nine it's pretty wild i just thought it was it wild cool, you decided uh, to make our brain hurts this week our brains <laughs> hurt this week yeah, exactly so a couple other pieces of space news <laughs> i'm down for more space news for sure 
I um, was just reading an article. This is not really news and as far as brand new news, but uh, there's theories on how the moon was created. And I Ooh, thought that... Okay. Um, let's talk we, about that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so the most... Actually, let's not start with that one. Did you so, have a theory before you read any of these? I recall learning in school that um, we definitely learned about the current most popular theory, which we'll cover last. Okay. So that was in my head, but I hadn't really mm-hmm. thought about it, to be honest, too much. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was cool to read through a couple of these. Uh, this one kind of being the coolest one to me. Okay. Uh, the fission theory is that molten Earth, or, or early Earth, was just spinning so fast that we just ejected material from <laughs> the middle of the planet, right, at, at its fastest point. And then that material eventually, enough of it escaped gravity and then collected and then began to form uh, our moon. That, without really thinking too hard, just my gut feeling is that's really not plausible. No, I don't think so. (laughs) Um, But it's definitely cool. Because why would the Earth get to the point of spinning that fast where it starts ejecting, first of all, and then why wouldn't the whole thing just fall apart? That was my first thought, and I, I think that's the most common criticism. One of the things that does do very well, though, is it answers why the moon rotates perfectly in sync with us. Like Yeah, inter- yeah, that's a good point. So, you know, you could see this relative speeds being very similar in that type of situation. But I totally sure. agree. If the if the Earth is at the point where it's spinning so fast, it's throwing shit into, the, into space. <laughs> like, okay, think about that. It really all collected into one neat little ball. Right, it where, would make where, an asteroid Where'd the belt. rest of it go? Yeah, it would have made an asteroid belt. We would, My, yeah, or we would have like sixteen moons or something, <laughs> which would be really cool. <laughs> but I just don't really. No, it's, it's without without being a scientist or anything. I don't really see it just being one nice little ball after it all. I put these kind of in order of absurdity. That one, okay. being, <laughs> that one being at the top. Um, so co-formation. Um, is essentially that the Earth and the Moon were in the same incubator together and just very similar, ended up some material built the Earth, some material built the Moon, and the relative forces at the time were such that they kind of just ended up in the orbits that they hmm. ended up in. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently the Earth and the Moon are, are quite uh, similar in composition, despite... I was going to ask that, actually. That would go to either support or... Um, not support the first theory, you know, right, if the right. moon is a completely different makeup, then how could it be of the same? Right. Yeah. But they are similar. They are very similar. Uh, however, the moon is much less dense. Hmm. Okay. So co-formation, uh, apparently one of the larger problems with it is just nobody can really get math that works correctly to really get those orbits defined. It's just an idea that once computer models came around, kind of, so it made made it difficult. How does how is the Earth formed? Just to give it a, a benchmark, the Moon, I guess. What you know happened that enabled the Earth to to form? I feel like I should know this. I didn't really brush up on it. Um, maybe this is a whole other episode. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's it's molten material of of something colliding together over time so there was just like enough stuff in earth that collected into some sort of orbit and eventually 
coalesced into one. Now I feel silly for not knowing this. No, I, I was just trying to think of how a planet forms versus how yeah, the moon no, it's forms. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Hmm. And one that actually the next two, conveniently, are able to gloss over. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Uh, so the next one is capture theory, which basically... Ah, I've heard yeah, that. Yeah. So the Earth was passing by... I'm sorry, the the moon and the Earth, you know, at a certain point in time, came close enough together such that the the mass of the Earth captured the moon, and around she goes. That, so capture captures a real thing. So that, well, that I mean, part yeah, of it makes go, sense. Go look at the, the the map we were just looking at. Right, a lot of those but, are captures. Sure, but would it look at the orbits? Like they're all this these giant ellipses with exactly. You know, so. For it to capture the moon, it would have had to. It would have had to have been really, really smooth. Just this really smooth trade-off, and <laughs> and where did the moon come from that it just arrived like right, like that? I don't know. I mean, sure, I guess that's it's not impossible. Unlikely though. The the material makeup would also be. Uh, you would imagine if the moon just came from some random place. It'd be completely alien. Completely alien. Hmm. So I, is if it you, possible I guess you... it could have come from another planet in our solar system, like Mars, or you know, was just like I don't want this moon anymore. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> and flung it off, and and we got it. Maybe a lot of those TNOs. Um, they think that basically Saturn and a couple of the other moons that are around the different planets are just stuff pulled out of the Kuiper belt. Mm. So, yeah. The moon cool, right? is just <laughs> such a... It's perfect. It's interesting. Like, you said something before where you were like, oh, well, I, you know, I haven't really thought about it too much or something like that, but like... I'm thinking about a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago. Like that's all people could do is sit there and stare at the moon yep. or space and wonder, like, what the fuck is going on? I mean, just think about that thing floating out there, and how perfect the situation is. That it's mm-hmm. just like, just gently caresses the oceans and like pulls mm-hmm, them back and forth mm-hmm. just ever so. Right? It and doesn't we just have that one, that one moon. I mean, think about how things would be different if it weren't there. You yeah. wouldn't obviously know, but. Um, yeah, it's very, very interesting. It is. Like, the fact that it doesn't just, like... Can you imagine if the oceans receded and went forward? Uh, I mean, in some places they do, but for other reasons. But, like, imagine just, like, on the beach, the, the east coast of the United States, the beach went back and forth, like, 500 feet. Yeah, we have a completely manageable situation, but if it was, yeah, way more dramatic like that... <laughs> and it happened, like, six times a day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you think that, in theory, the moon could either be so large or so close, or a combination of that, where, as it's orbiting, like, you would notice a difference in the gravity? Like, Um, you would only play basketball on on the third weekend in the month because you can jump higher, because gravity is less? (laughs) That'd be amazing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I, it would change everything. It would, yeah. <laughs> People couldn't, like, drive cars on that weekend. Be like, uh, gravity's not heavy enough right now to drive. Quick, we got to do all the car jump scenes for all the movies this year. <laughs> right now. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I suppose it's possible yeah. that um, I just don't know enough about predicting orbits to. So one thing that I've thought about a weird amount, and I don't want to spread bad ideas for whoever's potentially listening to this, but could you imagine if somebody out of pure evil decided that they were going to blow up the moon? I don't know uh, if you could, or if we, if anybody has weapons large enough to do that, or cause even substantial damage. But that would—I mean, that's a—that's a power move right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, famously, Mr. Burns tried to do that in the uh, The Simpsons. Oh, really? Or he tried? Well, he tried to block out the sun. Actually, that's what I'm thinking <laughs> of. Maybe he did try to blow up the moon. But yeah, I suppose if you were so inclined and you were a rich enough country, for whatever reason. You launch a space, you just like launch a a whole arsenal of nukes at it, and well, you'd have to like you'd have to put a bunch of dormant nukes on a spaceship, park the spaceship next to the moon, mm-hmm. and then or and then like what you could do is develop some sort of um, you know rover robot that is exceptional at digging, and just pack <laughs> it full of warheads and just kind of have it bury itself into the moon, you know, a couple miles deep. And then just fucking blow up. But that would have you'd to be ha- really strong. <laughs> it not only would it have to be really strong, you'd have to be really motivated. And I'm not sure <laughs> that you could do that without the rest of us knowing. Like, why is that country no. launched 16 rockets in the past month? And why are they all I think, it, the- I think it would have to be a... Yeah, it would have to be a single launch or maybe just a couple very closely spaced because you're right, somebody would try to intervene. Well, but... I would, I would, <laughs> I think too, if you were, if this was your plan, I think mm-hmm. the rest of the countries would be so unprepared that even if you launched them over the month, mm-hmm. short of them shooting them down, I suppose. Uh, yeah. I mean, so. we don't really just have like anti moon destruction, you know, <laughs> equipment ready <laughs> just in case, you know, like Russia goes crazy or something. <laughs> yeah. You'd have to we be We do really... have space force though. We do. We <laughs> do. But yeah, I you could probably I'll tell you what, you could probably if you were maybe not blow up the moon, but you could certainly impact the orbit of the moon. If you if you blew up a couple of nukes on the surface, I bet and this is actually relevant for something in a bit, I bet you could shift the orbit of the moon such that it, it was a problem. Yeah, I think so. I think eventually that could be Now that's a what. wild guess cuz ultimately density and and all those things you'd have mm-hmm. to Mhm. And you'd have to be really, just to be clear, you'd have to be very, very determined to do this. Yeah, and I'm not sure really what you'd be getting out of that other than just causing chaos. I mean, that's like a superhero comic thing, so... Yeah. Maybe I should write a book. (laughs) (laughs) So, the current most popular, and just most likely, too, uh, theory on the the moon being created was a Mars-sized mars-sized planet called Mm -hmm. via uh basically crashed into the earth okay and the the resulting explosion part of yeah it well it ejected part of the material from earth but Mm -hmm. there the thought is also that thea is potentially the sort of the oh the sourdough there's a word for that uh the start of the moon the the core of the moon i was trying to think of the name for the the sourdough starter there's a name for it like you know how you mix yeast? sourdough bread? No, the the what? Eh, 
This is not about bread. Doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> doesn't matter. Basically, when when the Thea crashes into Earth, you know, it's not such that they get slammed directly into each other. It's more of a mm-hmm. glancing type thing. Okay. And so it sheds material, we shed material, and mm-hmm. a bunch of that goes flying, potentially yeah. creating the asteroid belt that's out between us and Mars. Mm. And um, interesting. And then what's left of Thea and the re- and whatever material it captures, you know, right. they're spinning and spinning as a result of the the collision, and mm-hmm. and then that kind of slows everybody down, makes the orbits relative. So mm-hmm. that that idea of those things coming together answers most of the questions about how the moon is where it is. Okay. So do we have an age estimate for the moon? Like, because I mean, sh- let's say that is true. Obviously, yeah. it's going to start off as this jagged mass. And it's going to take millions and billions of years for it to become the sphere that it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, Do we know so how long that's been taking the- place? The theory for this Thea incident says that the moon it crashed into Earth, or Thea crashed into Earth, roughly 4.5 billion. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what that means. It's too much time for my brain to comprehend. <laughs> <laughs> Dinosaurs were 65 mil- million years ago, so not even Not close. even close. <laughs> <laughs> Space is crazy big, dude. It's, it's terrifying. It's, it's just... Yeah. Brains aren't powerful enough or multi-dimension enough to understand it, really. Yeah. Or at least at that capacity. So moving on to the next one. Um, these mm-hmm. are quicker... Uh, there's an asteroid that in the right light and sort of angle looks a lot like a skull. And in 2015, it flew really close to earth on Halloween. No way. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it's, uh, do you have a picture? Uh, there's a couple artists. There is a picture and basically by skull, imagine a, a lighter top portion of the asteroid the eye sockets are just two coincidentally placed dark spots with a light mm-hmm. line in between them. And that's pretty mm-hmm. much it. And the rest is dark underneath. So it's more like so the it, forehead and the bridge of the nose and yeah. you can kind of tell the eye sockets. And then that's really it. So it's a stretch, but <laughs> I mean, it flew by on Halloween. All right. What else cool. do you want? I like that. No, that's really cool. Does it have um, a name? Uh, Skeletor. <laughs> I'm sure it's got a designation. I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't find it. Um, it's FT-129 or something. Could be, easily. So it's uh, 2,100 feet wide at its widest point. Um, came within 300,000 miles of our planet. For reference, the moon orbits roughly at uh, 2,000, I'm sorry, 239,000. Really? So it... It yeah. came that close? came that close. Dude, that's really close. <laughs> um... So this is the thing. It's really dark. It only reflects uh, 5 or 6% uh, of the light that hits it. And since mm-hmm. it came so close, you know, we can tell that. And one of the minerals or, or I don't know, if, it's a lot like coal, basically. So it's, there's a good chance that this thing is just like a, it's made out of charcoal. Or something extremely similar, you know, burnt material, carbon. Yeah. It's probably not a wooden asteroid. <laughs> it's just like two by fours and kind of some janky planks together. <laughs> Home Depot. Home Depot wood. 
Oh, it's one of those like <laughs> pilgrim asteroids. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, it's gonna fly by again uh, this November, sort of the middle of the month month ish, I think, uh, but not nearly as close. So, the all important question. Um, when anything like this comes up and with the one that happened on Halloween, did we know it was coming? So we did. Okay. And how long in advance? I don't know. That's a really good question. Cause that's really close. Not only is it really close, but to me, it also begs the question, uh, what are we going to do about it? Maybe not that one. It seems like that one on a on fire, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> So I did a little bit of research on some ideas on how to move asteroids because, uh, you know, it could be a problem. In fact, way too close from right now, it actually could be a really big problem. Hmm. Um, so first, a lot of what, where people go to is just blow it up. But sure. that's not a good idea because then you probably are going to have, depending on the size of the asteroid you're dealing with, you're probably going to have more, just as many. Yeah, you're just, it's not going to be any better. <laughs> it doesn't take a 2,000 mile wide asteroid to hurt us. So a 100 mile wide asteroid would also be damaging. Oh, dude. 100 mile, <laughs> 100 mile wide asteroid, we'd be blown. There would be oh, no. Oh, the Earth would be gone. Yeah. Or no, any civilization. Um, a mile wide asteroid. Yeah half a mile wide though that that's those are problems yeah for sure <laughs> hell quarter of a mile i that's wherever it lands it's going to be a problem yeah i mean think about we would I live through numbers, that probably but, but the things that have created craters on the earth are mi yeah, microscopic compared to what we're talking about yep yeah 100 so... miles would be toast <laughs> i hope if all right if a 100 mile <laughs> wide asteroid comes i want to see and it's it. coming I want to be right under it. <laughs> Just right there. I want to see it. I want a, a, a solar eclipse to happen due to that asteroid under me. I can't over disagree me, with that. And just... Yeah. <laughs> I'll um, probably dress up in a T-Rex suit. And just go out like One of the... Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. Put it up on YouTube right before. Yeah. Oh my god, I got so many views. <laughs> so if you're not going to blow it up, pretty much the only thing really you can do after mm -hmm. that is deflect its orbit. Yeah. Cuz ultimately, let's say it's well, we wait think a it's we could move Earth out of the way. No. We'd have to move the asteroid. <laughs> Sorry, now I'm just being silly. Yeah. It's all good. Um, yeah, so changing its orbit. Makes yeah, sense. yep. So you could potentially explode something far enough away from it that it impacts the orbit. However, that's that's a risky move because ultimately that you're still dealing difficult. with it. Yeah, it's an explosion. And mm. uh, yeah, um, you could hit, just hit it with something heavy that's not designed to explode. And uh, that's actually difficult, but not unreasonable, especially for smaller stuff like yeah, half a, like a half a mile wide wide asteroid that's coming you at Earth. I would imagine you still run the risk of breaking it into fragments. Not only that, but I think it, it probably would still be uncomfortably close. Like, yeah, could come you know come through the you know come through the atmosphere or or come close to it. You know, sure, sure. Um, then the other one uh, that I suppose is worth mentioning because it's incredible and seems actually 
practical, but would require probably, or it depends on the size of the, uh, the meteor, actually, I think is the right term I should be using. Um, anyway, uh, it's called a gravitational tractor beam, or at least that's what Neil deGrasse Tyson calls it. But you okay. take a, a spaceship and it basically as massive as we can possibly get, mm. and you park this thing next to the asteroid mm. or the meteor, whatever. Um, there's a right term, but oh well. Um, and over Asteroids, time, meteors come into the orbit and burn up, correct? That's, I, I believe, the major distinction. So ultimately, an asteroid can turn into a meteor, I suppose. Meteor. I think so, yeah. So this this spaceship parked next to the asteroid just naturally, uh, just the laws of, or as we currently understand, the laws of physics, over time, they are going to be attracted to each other. Mm -hmm. And you could then fire the engines of this spaceship uh, periodically such that you then start to pull the asteroid on a, onto a different course. Yeah. Is that more effective than just like, attaching like a a rocket to it a rocket to it essentially like you know like a parasite <laughs> and i think just that's igniting it to me that also seems if we're talking about if we're talking about an asteroid that we could move with this crazy gravity plan mm. i would also just to me it seems like you could probably do something similar to what you're talking about yeah yeah but i think your that idea is is more complicated because the whole attachment and yeah, having enough fuel and all sure, that sure. to to fire all those engines <laughs> and then if it doesn't work you're really screwed and it's too bad there isn't wind just put a big <laughs> rudder on it and steer it the other way <laughs> i mean if you just jump down on top of this thing stick a steering wheel into it you're, you're good to go <laughs> the pilgrims drove these babies for miles that's right um that's yeah that's uh hmm so we've got to figure this out kind of quickly because there is an asteroid, not yet a meteor, called Apophis. On Friday the 13th, April mm, 2029, boy. it is going Whoa. to come so close to Earth that it is going to probably pass underneath our geostationary satellites. No way. In terms of orbit, way. So, so I mean, we're going to like be able to see that. Probably, Clear yeah, as probably, day. probably flying across or, well, the sky. It, yeah, yeah. How probably. big is it? Uh, that's a good question, actually. I'll, I will find out as I'm talking. So the really scary thing, and I don't mean to be too doom and gloom, because Neil deGrasse Tyson's working on this, so you know, should be okay. Uh, <laughs> I put all my trust in you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was looking for a size. He's a here. fascinating guy. Just to listen he, to him talk. He is. So we la we discovered it in June '04. Okay. Its mass is. Uh, you asked me how big it was, right? Yeah, I guess at its widest point or something. It's uh, about. Well, it's thirty-seven percent of a kilometer, so it's point three seven kilometers large. Hmm. Its mean radius is. Uh, 185 meters, or I'm sorry, geez, 0.185 kilometers. So it's, you know, what is that? Half, a quarter of a mile. So that's one of the quarter mile ones I was talking about. It's pretty big. It's not good. So what makes this even scarier is that if it passes 
through and, and ends up getting impacted by the gravity such that it passes through a point apparently called the keyhole, which is just a specific point in time and space relative to gravity and all that as far as mm -hmm. at least we're concerned. Basically what that means is we're going to change its orbit such that seven years later, they're pretty sure it's just going to slam into the Pacific Ocean. What? Yep. And what are the ramifications of that? That's bad. Sure. Definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, that, uh, I mean, that's bigger than the one that did the dinosaurs, I think. Can we use hail cannons? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we should try. Shooting we should try. Oh, fuck, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, we should definitely try. I think so. I mean, think so, about it. In reality, though, in all seriousness, um, just changing its orbit, you know, in a positive way, just a little bit could potentially change that seven-year trajectory. Precisely. Precisely. Yeah. And for us, the most opportune time, or at least general time, uh, to impact its orbit relative to us is right when it's going by us. So we should do something about it on its first pass rather than its second pass ultimately. Hmm. Okay. So that one's not to be too, you know, we definitely talk about some dark things sometimes and that one's fairly dark. Um, but so what if you, okay. Good thing is we know come, about it. We know yeah. About it. But if it's going to come that close, we have people that are, you know, orders of magnitude smarter than us. A lot. And have the tools and the computer models necessary to potentially launch a satellite. You could launch it now if you mm -hmm. time it right. And have this thing start orbiting at a ridiculous pace so that it lines up with where this thing is going to come in. And just kind of do, you know, one of your moon theories and just graze it or hit it enough. Absolutely. Where it just kind of deflects it. And maybe the, the trajectory of that asteroid... TBD meteor is not, you know, accurate enough, or we don't know enough of, to, to make that prediction, but maybe as it gets closer, we could. I mean, we've got so many satellites, we should be able to launch something. You would think that we could do something about this, and we should do something about this. <laughs> I totally, I'm but all no, for I, doing something about it. Ultimately, though, I agree, and, and I'm optimistic, you know. Uh, yeah. I think you're right, yeah. and especially because we know about it, yeah. so that's nice. Yeah, I would just think that you can kind of get something going in its direction, so if it's going to fly across, you know, just, you know, whatever, left to right, you know, start getting something in orbit that's going to fly around that same direction, so that it kind of knocks into it. I Yeah, I would think that's that would make, at least to me, a extreme layman. Mm. Uh, that seems to be like a one of the more efficient ways to do something about it. Yeah, that's just a spend crazy as little calculation if yeah. you can figure that out. But if you can spend as little energy ultimately mm -hmm. as possible to change the direction of this thing, that this is know. like a test because right. it's going to happen again. So this one might be if we can't so, do this one. <laughs> I'm optimistic though because as I said Neil's on this and also <laughs> the Japanese just did something really awesome. Uh, literally a couple days ago, September 21st, they successfully landed a couple of probes on an asteroid. Oh, oh, I think I did see that, actually. So the Hayabusa cool. 2 is... This, uh, yeah, the Hayabusa 2. Uh, 
they sent this thing out to an asteroid uh, and got it to rot you know uh, parked up orbit around it mm-hmm. and uh, then it released it's at the moment two uh, little probes from that down onto the surface of the asteroid cool and these things are really cool they are just little boxes mm-hmm. and how they move is they just have a, a basically imagine just a spring-loaded weight inside them and so the weight just flicks and they just go flying across so they can they can jump it, like 16 feet in the air or something like that gravity on this thing very little just enough to keep it there yeah that's why cool. these little boxes can jump like 16 that's genius. i think it's actually it might be 16 meters in the air not feet that's super cool yeah they're tough little bastards too because they must have been <laughs> Yeah, so um, they've landed on this thing, and that's it's the first that's the first that's ever been done. So that's totally awesome. Um, they're gonna get uh, core samples. Uh, they've got cameras, and they've got all kinds of sensors, right? So they're sending back all kinds mm-hmm. of data. They sent back some pictures of it. The the actual main unit there had a camera on it, and before it dropped the probes and all that, sent back some actual pictures okay. of this thing, which is pretty cool. The asteroid itself is really like diamond shaped, which is pretty odd. And mm. it's about a kilometer across at its widest. And this is really interesting because its shape is so strange that actually its gravity is not in the very center of this thing like the Earth is. Oh, weird. Depending, depending on, so basically what that means is depending on where you're standing on this thing, relative to your position, gravity may not always be what you consider directly down. Sure, sure. Oh, that's weird. Isn't that weird? <laughs> but it's so minute that if you were theoretically on yeah, this yeah. thing, you wouldn't probably notice. No. Or or if you noticed, uh, which I I don't know, that'd be quite the sensation, I, I imagine. Uh, mm-hmm. you're, the gravity's already so little that... Uh, right, that's what I meant. Is right. It's so little that the change is therefore little as well. I mean, these rovers can hang out onto it, but I, I wonder... I bet a human's too massive probably to hmm. jump around on this thing without just jumping away just flying <laughs> see ya uh so it took four years for the hayabusa 2 to get out there and the they're gonna the rest of the data and a couple of the different things are ultimately gonna leave the asteroid and try to land with some core samples mm-hmm. um that's due back 2020 okay And actually, how they're going to take the core samples that the Hayabusa 2 itself, not the little probes that went out, it's actually going to, they're planning to, it's got a tip on the end of it, and they're basically just going to, like, crash into the asteroid real quick, grab some stuff, and and bail. (laughs) Should I try to find the Barry Center? Uh, Or do you have more to go? Well, I was just going to say, the last one, uh, unfortunately, is... uh, that one of the episodes we first did, I did uh, the black hole thing. And yeah. still no update on the picture of the black hole, really. Mm. Uh, we're yeah. like, well, they were hoping to have pictures like eight months ago. So, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Any particular holdup that you're aware of? Sifting through the data is just taking a long time, and, and mm. they're just working hard to like filter out noise and... and because the amount of data, and if you recall, there's like, uh, I forget, over 10 different telescopes involved, and they're mm-hmm. all sending over tons and tons of data. So that's just taking a while. Also, you know, 
I wouldn't be mad if the people trying to figure out the black hole picture also wanted to work on deflecting asteroids. Right. <laughs> they need to take like a, a little break on that project. Okay, that's it. Okay, so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna use the first thing you talked about with the um, the the planet that we think is there, but we don't really know it's there. Uh, in a similar fashion, um, Columbus basically, when he went across the Atlantic Ocean, he didn't know. He thought he was looking for something, but he wasn't really sure if it was there or not. So, okay, um, that's that's how I'm drawing the parallel. Pretty Except vague. He's he's way more ballsy though, because we haven't really sent anybody out there just hoping to land on Planet <laughs> Dude, Nine. This motherfucker was ballsy for sure. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. He was also an incredibly terrible person, which we'll get to. Um, but yeah, so Columbus Day around the corner, right? Yeah. I figured it would be worth it to do our first holiday themed. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited topic to here. learn. Yeah, I'm excited to learn about it because I definitely caught wind, as most of us have, that he yeah. is actually a shitty dude. Yeah, it's kind of been coming to light a, a lot more recently. Yeah, so couple decades maybe. Or, but I, know, I've never years. really looked into why. I just I just went along with everybody else and was like, yeah, fuck <sighs> that guy. A really interesting story, the whole thing. So, um, there were three ships. There were three ships. <laughs> um, so I was kind of at first my thought was just like, all right, let's let's, let's see what Columbus Day is all about. Um, but then it really turned into more of looking at Columbus himself. Okay. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll touch on both. So how are you going to celebrate Columbus day? Going, uh, by going to work. <laughs> right on. Me too. <laughs> Ford gives every holiday, but not Columbus day. It's not important enough, I guess. No. Um, They're just ahead of their time, bro. I guess very progressive. So the, the common, you know, thing that at least here in America kids are told growing up at least 20 years ago when we were going through elementary school. Yep. Gosh. Christopher Columbus discovered America, right? Right. That's what we know. That's what I was told. Right. So I don't really particularly remember like teachers excluding the fact that um, there were already people here in no, the Americas. Not. I don't remember them excluding that. I just... When I think back on it, it was certainly downplayed, right? Like, Well, not only was it downplayed, but I guess it really, the fact that they even stated he discovered. Yeah, right. Implies that the, quote, civilized world was unaware of this place, therefore it mm -hmm. didn't exist. Right. And not only were there people here, but as we'll find out later, he wasn't even the first person to do this. No. Um... So it's just really interesting. It's just really interesting the way that we were told that he discovered America, and then like all the other details are just kind of like, eh. It's more know. like he was just for whatever reason was the most famous dude, and that yeah, people and were like, well, good, we got to pick there, somebody. There is actually good reason for that. So oh, okay, okay, it's a very conflicting story. Like I understand now why he's celebrated. Like the whole Christopher Columbus Day thing is not just completely random. Okay. Um, but at the same time, as we move forward in in this life, 
uh, and values change and you think about <laughs> what we're celebrating, you know, you might, you might give it a second look. Thought. Yeah. Um, as with many things these days, right? Right. Um, so yeah, so just kind of the way that he's portrayed was maybe not accurate or not the full story. Um, but anyway, so I think we'll start with Columbus himself and his whole his whole story. So this is <laughs> I do my best here to to walk us through this timeline. It's pretty crazy, this guy's life. Um, and I'm realizing now I I potentially wrote way too much here. So he he didn't live that long. Fifty fourteen fifty one to fifteen oh six. So he was you know fifty plus years old. Um, so it was generally believed that he was born in the Republic of Genoa, Genoa, G-E-N-O-A, which was basically like a independent state of Italy at the time. Right. I don't think it is now. Um, so for all intents and purposes, he was Italian, but there's actually alternative theories about where this, uh, this guy comes from. (laughs) Like that's the most, you know widely accepted one, but some people think that he was Greek, some say Portuguese, Polish, and hmm. etc. Um, but yeah, there's a fair amount of documentation, which if you believe that the documentation is, uh, you know, genuine, then he's from this Genoa place. I, I'm definitely not a believer of anything. <laughs> so I wrote this down just because the way it's written is really funny. This is a this is something he wrote in 1498. Um, this would be six it, years after said discovery, right? If I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> so he wrote a deed of primogeniture, which I guess is like I looked that up. It's it's some like deed to say that you're like the firstborn or something. I don't know. It's probably nothing relevant now. Either way, he wrote something down in his native language that ultimately translates to, as I was born in Genoa, came from it, and was born there. What? What? <laughs> yeah, so it's just like, I don't know, the way that read was was really funny. Maybe right Do you down. ever feel like, a lot of people don't just like, maybe books are more the form that this is taken, but I'm just like thinking about people who just write stuff down like statements. Mm-hmm. Like what is he? What was he writing it down for? He's texting his buddies. Yeah. <laughs> it makes yeah. Sense I don't know. Um... I mean, well, like you said, this is after his discovery, so I think uh, I didn't go into much detail here. But so he's famous now, and he's just communicating to the world. A lot of documentation to to certify, you know, and it state his okay that okay. it was that genuine what he did, you know. Yeah. Okay, that um, makes sense. To, yeah, just yeah. to legitimify it. Legitimify Not only did I do this, but I'm also of this blood. Right, and... I'm who I say I am, and right. blah, blah, blah. Right, okay. Um, so basically, he comes from some, you know, pretty average at the time, middle-class family. Like, his parents owned some weaving looms and taverns and even a cheese stand at one point, allegedly. Um, so random stuff. So he worked there as a kid and somehow got into sailing at, like, age 10. He set out to see, you know, probably as like an apprentice to somebody at the first time. Um, not really clear on how that happened, how he made that jump. Um, but one way or another, he, he gets into sailing. Um, and as he goes through life, he's actually like a pretty accomplished sailor. 
as you would expect, his his journey to the Americas was not the first thing he did. I would hope um, he. <laughs> he'd been sailing for a while before. Did a little prep work first. Yeah, <laughs> basically doing like trade routes and stuff along Western Africa. So he um, sailed a lot of Portuguese ships. Uh, so they had some trade routes set up along that Western coast. Um, he had a couple sons. He married this this woman. Um, in 1477, and he initially resided in Lisbon, which I'm not really sure where that is. Okay. Um, but, uh, I don't know, some, I think she died at one point, and he uh, then relocates to Castile, which is like an ambiguous part of Spain. Don't really know. Um, <laughs> well, it's not, it's not entirely well, ambiguous by well, nature of it. It's in Spain, but the bounds <laughs> of it are not clearly yeah, defined. Yeah. And okay, it doesn't okay. exist in that nature anymore. Lisbon um, is uh, one of the main port cities of Portugal, at least today. Okay, I would, that makes sense. I'd imagine it's the same. Got it. That makes perfect sense. Um, so he finds himself another lady there, has another son. Um, Good for him. <laughs> so at this point in his life, he's still doing these trade routes and stuff as far as you know, but he starts to become like really well-read and interested in things like astronomy and geography and studying other languages and stuff. I don't okay. think he was formally educated necessarily, but he kind of took it upon himself to start doing all this. I mean, he seems like a ultimately a smart dude in the sense of... Yeah, and I think he was. Yeah. Um, but one of the... I guess you could... I don't know if it's a problem, but is what it is. The fact that he taught himself all this kind of gave him this... Uh, apparently this mm. view of the world and his own ideas of what the world was like and from a geography geography and astronomy standpoint that may or may not have been correct or accurate or maybe <laughs> oversimplified because he wasn't traditionally schooled in the sense. Okay. Um, yeah. So whatever, he be, he starts to become educated and, and more, um, yeah, just ambitious in this sense. Um, so at one point, Portugal's, like, they have this, they're doing a lot of trading with Asia, uh, but they're doing it via, you know, land passages. Okay. And then, for whatever reasons, um, the land passages start to become less practical. Um, you know, some other tribes or... or Bandits. Uh, civiliza- yeah, basically it becomes <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> so they're, they're wanting some sort of, um, you know, sea route that they can continue trading, but take a different way. Well, real quick, so this is right 14... Well, this is going to be like 1470s probably at this point. But, so yeah. Genghis, Genghis Khan and, and his his lifetime was like 1230s. Uh-huh. That's when he was big. And so the Mongols at this point are still you know, oh, a problem. Okay. It's obviously not Genghis. He's long since dead. But, uh, but you know, the 1400s, there's still plenty of uh, danger. Okay. Yeah, so it could have been them then that kind of made some of these trade routes not passable anymore. Um, yeah, so... Uh, and actually, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, go <laughs> more, ahead. Well, more Mongol stuff, actually, to explain why more about the trade route thing. So the Silk Road, it would have been what they would have been using to trade with Asia. Okay. Um, and the Silk Road is, is was a particular path, certainly for a lot of points, but ultimately wasn't you know, literally, I mean, there's parts of it that were always accepted as part of the road, but ultimately it was just trade routes between uh, Europe and Asia. 
And under Genghis Khan's rule, you the the story or the saying is that like a girl could walk with like a gold bar from Italy to wherever and uh-huh. not be not Italy, maybe that's a little deep, but basically could walk with this gold bar thousands of miles and, and mm-hmm. not be accosted. Mm-hmm. And that was because people were so uh you know, the Mongol law and everything was so ruthless and, mm-hmm. and whatnot that um, you wouldn't dare hurt any traders. But then, sure. as as most things, once Genghis Khan died, um, hit that great person and the influence that he had and his particular, just the way about him goes away and things start mm-hmm. to fall apart. So 200 years later, things things would have deteriorated to the point where clearly it's uh, not really useful anymore. Interesting. Okay. Um, so their initial route that Portugal set up was basically to go down and around Africa. So sail south along the western coast and then whip around and go up to, to Asia that way. Which um, looks like it takes forever. Probably took forever. <laughs> so in 1470, some Italian astronomer, astronomer, astronomer suggested to the king of Portugal that sailing west could be basically worth looking into like you should investigate that so i'm not sure exactly what he used to come up with his theory but he said hey um try this try this you should look into this so somehow columbus himself got word of this and he kind of like latched onto this idea so this is where his whole legacy kind of begins um so he kind of formulated this plan he really wanted to take action on what this italian astronomer suggested but uh, it's widely known that he had a ton of trouble basically getting support for this plan. So he was lobbying to different governments and stuff in Europe to try to get funding, basically, and support to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, Portugal wasn't interested. Uh, basically just told him that he, uh, you know, it just wasn't feasible. <laughs> Genoa itself, where he was from, said no. Venice said no. England said no. Damn. Um, Yeah, he was really trying. And then ultimately he got support from the Spanish monarchs at the time. Right. Um, And even them, he spent two years alone negotiating with Spain. Initially they, like, said, you know, not now, but they kind of, like, left the door open, I guess. Hmm. Um, So he spent two years alone. So he was... This must have been pretty expensive. I guess. I mean, he, if nothing else, just the time that he spent. Um, Very passionate about and, this. Yeah, just passionate in this idea for different reasons. Um, well, I mean, <laughs> you you discovered the trade routes to Asia, and boom. yeah, I mean, he was seeking the glory and the the, the, the money, the money in this. Um, so this is interesting. I took this snippet. Um, from some article, or it might have even been from the Wikipedia page. I'm not sure. I don't remember, but uh, I'll just read it for what it is. It's basically the um, the deal that Spain was going to make with him. Okay. And this is pretty significant. Uh, so in April 1492, um, then the, the name of the deal in Spanish there that I, I'm not going to try, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella promised Columbus that if he succeeded, he would be given the rank of Admiral of the Ocean Sea and appointed viceroy and governor of all the new lands he could claim for Spain. So he would be ruler of these lands, essentially, or at least acting. Um, 
he had the right to nominate three persons from whom the sovereigns would choose from for any office in the new lands. He would be entitled to 10% of all the revenues from the new lands. Uh, additionally, he would also have the option of buying one-eighth interest in any commercial venture with the new lands and receive one-eighth of the profits. Holy so, shit. Should he succeed, I mean, he set that's, up. that's a hell of a deal. <laughs> okay, I can see why the other countries said no. Well, this is the deal that Spain made with him. He had already been lobbying and, and shopping this idea around. For, right, but clearly he... He had demands. He had demands. Yeah, Spain didn't... He didn't say, hey, I want to do this. And Spain was like, okay, we'll give you all this shit if you do. Right, no, right. This was worked out. So you're Now right. he's like, he, no, dude, I want to be God, so... Yeah. <laughs> Are you in this or what? No. No, we're not. <laughs> no, we're not at all. In fact, we're, we're God, and you... Screw you, you dude. get out. Yeah, Pull on exactly. This. Christopher, get out. Who are you? <laughs> um, so one common theory that you might hear, um, if you research this, you'll read it too, is that some people think that one of the reasons he didn't get support is because people at the time still thought that the earth was flat. It's not okay. true at all. Um, there was a pretty, at least maybe not with the layperson, but... There was a basic understanding of the Earth was a sphere since Aristotle was around, which was like 300 BC or something. So it was not that wasn't the issue. Um, okay. Okay. Maybe they didn't have a an accurate depiction of where things were necessarily at this time, or so even I think, the size of the Earth, as we'll see later. Um, <laughs> but, that's part of the reason he was able to make these demands, right? Is that what he's proposing to do? I mean, he either finds these lands or he mm -hmm. dies at sea. That's right. Um, like that's basically the gamble that they're making. Cause if nobody knows what is West, yeah, you're either, you're gambling that one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to find a place to land in within the time frame that you have to survive on these ships, or mm -hmm. you're going to die at sea. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons Spain was so willing compared to some of the other places is they had just like gone through, I don't know if it was a war or something where they had invested a lot of money. So they, they were yeah, ready to take a risk. Um, I guess they saw this risk as, as potentially working out for them. Yep. Um, so they were kind of in a vulnerable spot, I guess. Makes sense. Um, but also, so let's, we're going to get on to now the voyage itself. Okay. Um, and this is, this gets kind of silly. You better not tell me there's four ships. <laughs> Could you imagine? Why would you lie about one ship? <laughs> <laughs> it no, it only made it like one mile before it sank. And it yeah, it just, just like, sank right. right at the dock. Yeah. Right at the port. They're just like, all right, we we didn't need that one. Um. Okay, so this this first part here, as an engineer, I just got to say, this is horrifying and hilarious at the same time. So when he, when Columbus was calculating his voyage... He basically grossly underestimated the size of the Earth, so he used, you know, they had like a latitude, uh, excuse me, a latitude and longitude system set up, mm -hmm. and he was using this value that the latitude and the space between any, you know, two lines of latitude or longitude, or whatever, was fifty six and two third miles. What he didn't Whoa. realize is that this value that he was given, based on whatever information he was using, was given in Arabic miles, not Roman miles that he was familiar with. So 
units. <laughs> it was oh, literally man. using two different sets of units. And um, so basically what this meant was that his Earth that he was plotting was way smaller than real Earth. Um, yeah. So to put it in perspective, he estimated that the distance from the Canary Islands, which is basically, you know, like the westernmost set of islands, I think, off the west coast of Europe. Yep. Uh, his estimate was that from that rough location to Japan, going west, obviously ignoring the fact that there may or may not be something in between, um, he estimated 3,700 kilometers. Okay. In reality, it's like 20,000 kilometers. Yeah, I was going to say, that's uh, that's smaller than the Earth, uh, the United States is wide. Yeah. So he was wrong. <laughs> By a lot. <laughs> so, which is probably a good thing because if he had gotten the real number, he would have hopefully realized that it was impossible to do this. Well, that's the thing is, um, yeah, you're right. Is that no ship at the time would have been able to support a trip uh, yeah. of that distance. And even, Holy shit. I never thought of this. Let's say he, um, <laughs> Yeah, so there no ship would have been able to support the resources for that journey. Um, but even if it could, like, let's say even if a ship could support that, he would have vastly underestimated and just not been prepared never to, made it. Yeah, to go that far. Never, so he just would have made it, made it a, a fraction of the distance. And So basically him running into the Americas by mistake, because this whole thing... Right, he wasn't planning on hitting the Americas. Let's make that right. clear. He right. thought he was gonna sail west, thirty-seven hundred kilometers, and hit Asia. <laughs> so running into the Americas saved this guy's life and everybody else he was with, of course. Gave him a place in history. Created this whole this whole legend, right? You know, it's uh, really funny too. Is he? I mean, ultimately, he. Well, he got to execute his, or at least he thought he was going to get to execute his demands. Right. Mm. But if he had actually landed on Japan and tried to rule those people, mm -hmm. you know, he would have run into like the remnants of the Mongols, depending like if he had landed in Southern China, dude, they there. would have killed him. They would have killed him right away. It'd be like, no, you're it would done. Have been a way different story. <laughs> Cause he really didn't show up with that many people. And we'll, no, we'll get there. he would have gotten rolled over so fast, especially with, yeah, this guy the was way really he, an idiot. Actually, the way he approached. Well, that's the thing is the the contrast in this guy's head is he is like a he's a accomplished sailor, and I'll give you some examples as we get a little further along in the story. Smart when it comes to navigating and, and getting to where he thinks, I guess he's going. Um, but some of the decisions he makes and the way he acts, yeah, he's he's pretty stupid. Um, okay. so it's very interesting. All right, All right so... so you're right. Three ships. And can you name them? <laughs> oh God. Uh, yeah. the Mayflower. No, definitely not. What? What? No, the Mayflower is, is a completely different story. Story. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> no, that's funny. And I'm not knocking you for that because I looked up Plymouth Rock because I thought that was related. But is that's that what? That's related to the Mayflower. That's like okay. when England came over and oh, set up okay. colonies okay. and stuff. 
Um, I feel like I did know the names, but honestly, uh, you're going to say them and I'm going to go, oh, right. Oh, for sure. I couldn't name them before I I Yeah, I cannot name them. The Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. That's that last one. I should have known that one. Um, So I spent a little time, naturally, looking up facts about the ships. Yes, for sure. Because you never talk about that. But think about it. These ships had to cross uncharted ocean. They must have been pretty good ships. If, okay, yeah. Not to mention, like, old school shipbuilding. I might have to do an episode on that because that I still don't understand how they were able to build these ships and have them be seaworthy. That's not only of... and and to your point, not only seaworthy, but I mean, what's the I don't know that what's the distance between? Uh, I'll get it real quick. What's the distance? The straight line distance from like Portugal to let's say New York. That's yeah, I'm not sure distance wise. Pretty freaking far. Uh huh. Anyway, um, so sorry. the Nina, the Nina, uh, which actually wasn't its real name, it was a nickname, but the Nina and the Pinta were Caravel, Caravel type ships. I'm not okay. sure the right way to pronounce that. Um, basically, these were, Cara. yeah, I think it's Caravel. These were kind of, you know, at least compared to contemporary ships of the time. Obviously, not now, but smaller, more nimble boats. Um, where not really set up for actually traveling across oceans. Hmm. Um, and then the Santa Maria was a Karak type ship. C-A-R-R-A-C-K. Karak, maybe. Um, basically, this one was a little larger, uh, a little more stable. Um, you know, so the way I, I guess I imagine this setup is you kind of have the Santa Maria, which is probably holding the bulk of the supplies, maybe has a larger crew, and then you kind of have these Nina... And Pinta ships, which maybe can, um, when you get to the destination, do a little more of the exploration uh, once you get there. So the Nina carried 26 men and its deck length. So I don't know, you know, if you look at the the beam length of the ship, like the full length, I'm not sure what that number is, but the deck itself was about 50 feet long, they think. So, you know, big, but not huge by any means. No, not not it's huge actually, at all. Yeah, it's actually quite small compared to its contemporaries. Before I looked this up, I expected ships that were like 150 feet long or something. I'm but... now looking at at least artist renderings of it, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's uh, that's actually tiny. Yeah. Um, okay, okay. So this ship, this Nina ship, actually made, as we'll learn further, Columbus did this multiple times, and it this ship lasted the longest with him. It kind of went with him a couple times. It was apparently his favorite ship. Um, <laughs> that's cool <laughs> yeah but its last log was in 1501 it um made it to some port in venezuela and then that was like the last thing that would ever be documented about it so not clear you know what if happened it sank it or that. disassembled or whatever happened but 1501 um the pinta was similar to the nina also carried yeah. 26 men but slightly larger but still okay. same type of ship so same deal uh, and then the Santa Maria had the largest crew of 40 people. I actually found a, um, I shouldn't say I found, Wikipedia listed out the 40 people that were on the boat. Like, they have that information, which Whoa. I thought was cool. Like, the names, yeah. That is yeah. Um, So, I, wa- I made sure to write this down. This is, Columbus himself, he captained Santa Maria. 
Okay. I didn't know if each boat had a captain and he kind of like jumped around, but it doesn't really make sense that you would move boats mid-sea. Probably not possible. Yeah. Um, So he was captain of the Santa Maria. And obviously, I think he also classifies as like an admiral or something because he's the commander of a fleet. Oh, probably. Yeah. He wouldn't be, especially given his personality, there's no way he was listed at the same level as the captain of the other two boats. No, he yelled (laughs) at people that didn't refer to his rank. Right, right. Um, so going back to him being knowledgeable, so he, it's unclear where he got the information or whatever, but he knew how to use like the trade winds. So he used the easterly winds to get him there. Um, and then to get home, he used the less, the westerly winds, which I think you have to go, uh, more north on the earth to, to use those. I think that's mm-hmm. how, how it goes. Um, you know, for instance, it would have been impossible for him to basically sail home if he had tried to fight against the Easterlies. It just so he had to take a different route home. Yeah, and he knew yeah. how to do yeah. that. Um, and I think he That's... got better at that as he did it a couple times. But even on his first try, he he was able to do that. And had he not done that, it probably wouldn't have been successful. How many times did he go back and forth? Four. Whoa. Yeah, I also didn't know that before doing. Dude, that. that's that's a lot. Mm-hmm. And how long how long does the uh, journey take? So the first one, I, I think maybe it, it got quicker as you went along, but the first one, um, let's see. So, yep, that's actually aligns well with my next notes. So they set off 8 a.m. August 3rd, 1492. Okay. Land was first August sighted 3rd. at 2 a.m. on October 12th, 1492. So it took them a little more time, I think. Two months uh, and two weeks-ish. Yeah, it's like pretty long time. At, that uh, sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is where Columbus starts to show his shitty behavior, at okay. least in terms of history books. Um, it was one I mean, of his... he's kind of an asshole in Alrighty, some ways right. at this point. Uh, yeah. yeah, but here we go. So it was one of his crew members that found land, um, and then Columbus... <laughs> told everybody that he saw it first, which got him some sort of extra monetary award uh, when he got home. So he told everybody that he was the one to spot the land. That's not true. Um, So they landed somewhere in, like, present-day Bahamas. They don't know exactly the spot, necessarily, that they touched down, um, but somewhere in the Bahamas. Which I knew that going into this, but I just think it's really interesting that as kids, we were told that he discovered America. And when yeah, you're told that really... as a little kid, you're like, oh, he, you know, I don't know, New York City. North Carolina. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> there it was. <laughs> there it was. World Trade Center. Um, no, but, yeah, no, they landed down in the Caribbean, um, which I think is, is fairly common knowledge at this point, but still interesting. Um. So naturally, as the story goes, when they show up, there's plenty of indigenous people already there. A couple different tribes are, are mentioned usually, but the, the Tainos are kind of the biggest one, T-A-I-N-O. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, and they kind of have the biggest impact on, on the whole rest of the story. But um, So along after they touched down, I think the first time around, uh, at least initially, there were... You know, it wasn't like instant death upon these indigenous people when he touched down. Right. They didn't, you know, hit land swords blazing and stuff like that. They were initially peaceful. Um, 
they spent some time exploring the area, modern-day Cuba and Haiti, that type of thing, just kind of sailing around the Caribbean. Um, the Santa Maria ends up crashing on Christmas Day oh, and no. sinking. Um, basically, everybody fell asleep, and they left one guy who was very unqualified to steer the ship, and he crashed into a sandbar, and... Um, Damn. Yeah. yeah, so... Actually, it's huh. kind of a, a, an interesting moment because they disassemble the ship and use the wood to kind of set up like a little establishment. Um, and then ultimately 39 people end up staying behind at said establishment uh, as Columbus makes his journey back. Um, so the Santa Maria crash- crashes and they decide to sail home? Yeah, I mean... Or relatively... Not at that exact moment necessarily, but yes, they sail the two ships home. They disassemble Santa Maria because it didn't like sink in open ocean. It sank kind of at a yeah. sandbar area, so they were able to collect some of the the wood. I bet stuff. that guy. I bet that guy after it was like, well, at least I crashed near shore, assholes. I bet you they killed that guy. Ooh. In all reality. <laughs> yeah, actually, you're probably right. Because before they were gone, um, you know, his whole thing here is to bring back. Uh, goods Money. and show the fruits of his yep. labor. Yep. Um, and oh, and yeah, let it be crashing. said that he's th- he thinks right now that he's in Asia. He has no oh, idea right. where he is. He thinks right, he's in Asia right, right now. Um, right. So he Indians. demands he demands gold from the natives, and he demands that the natives show him where their gold is at. And nice. it gets ugly when yep. they don't when they don't uh, you know cooperate basically. Um, and that that continues on his further trips, but on the way home, this is a crazy part of the story, in my opinion. Um, it just amazes me how none of this is ever told. On the way home, the two ships, the Pinta now and the Nina, yep. they get separated due to some giant storm. So just somewhere out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, just these two you. ships just part ways. Somehow they make it back, but he's on the Nina. Um, they, due to another storm, have to dock at some unknown island. And his orders to half the crew was to go inland somewhere in the island, find a church, and pray. What? Yeah. He makes half his crew go find a church and pray that they were able to make it and pray for the other. He was somewhat religious. Okay, um, and pray for the Pinta so that it gets home. Um, yeah, and in, I guess that makes sense for the time. Yeah, so in doing this, uh, that half of the crew gets kidnapped by the indigenous people of this oh. island, oh, and no. there's a two-day standoff for him to get his crew back. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, the native, second, people thought, the native people thought they were pirates, so they kidnapped them. Okay, but, and where is this landing? Where um, is, so this some, is him going back to some... I, he going east... Yeah, so I think it's some island. I I forgot to write it. Well, I didn't forget. I I decided not to. I guess, um, some island along the western coast of Africa. I think. Okay, he, that makes, yeah, You know, yeah. basically was aiming low, is where he ended up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so I think he had made you know most of the journey. He had gotten across the ocean essentially. Yeah. Um, but had to end up stopping along the way. So eventually they make it back to Spain and basically they're they're arrived or they arrive to like a hero's welcome type situation in Spain. Um, one way or another, you know, word gets around. 
of what they've done. Um, he brings with him gold and other goods that he stole from the native people while he was there. And he even stole a few people. Like, he captured some natives and brought them back with him. Okay. I forget how many initially, but, you know, like a handful. Um, cool. Yeah, so he just steals a bunch of shit, including people, brings it back, and he's like, look at what I've done. And, and naturally, Spain is like, okay, go get us more. They weren't happy yep. with his initial, um, you know, findings, I guess. But what's amazing to me is that even at this point, he gets back to Spain. He's still convinced he found Asia. Oh, no. So, yeah, he, so he's not, not only is he thinking this, but he's not obviously then able to say to them, like, this is what I actually found, right? So, I don't know how that disconnect is actually there, but yeah, at this point, he still is thinking that he found Well, and I think, I mean, nobody's going to be able to tell him he's wrong, right? I guess not, but it, maybe (laughs) Spain hadn't been to Asia yet themselves but like well and i don't think i don't think they'd ever i'd be willing to bet that at this point very few if any quote westerners had Mm. made it to the eastern shore yeah do you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. so they don't nobody actually knew what the that's true the most eastern parts of asia trading somewhere in the middle right yeah okay makes sense or if somebody had made it they just didn't you know nobody the information hadn't been communicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this guy's able to navigate oceans and survive five weeks of storm and treacherous open seas, but he is clueless about where he was. He thought Cuba was a peninsula in China. It's not the right shape or location. <laughs> yeah, but again. Yeah. It's not like he can open up his, his GPS and go, oh, no. shit. Pull out his iPhone and be like, oh, damn it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like I said, he goes back uh, three more times. That's I did crazy. Not, I really didn't know that. No. Um, so he makes a second journey back, and this is the biggest one. So with the first one, you know, they did the three ships, and they had, yeah. what, 100 people? Not even. Um, second time he goes back, Nina included. Hell um, yeah. His favorite ship. So OG. <laughs> <laughs> uh, There's some spiritual thing going on oh, there probably because, that thing right. made it through that crazy storm right. where they got separated oh right. and the pinta did make it back by the way good good um it didn't get used again for this purpose but it did make it back right because it got separated it was the one he didn't get separated no <laughs> no he did everything perfectly the, the pinta fucked up right including the <laughs> including the standoff that was that was all according that was to their plan. fault they wouldn't have had to do that if the pinta didn't get separated that's right well that's exactly right <laughs> Um, so the second time they go back with 17 ships and 1200 men. Damn. Yeah. And they bring with them like a, uh, a very wide range of, you know, people, skill sets and backgrounds and stuff. Basically they're, they're going with the intent of establishing a more permanent presence in the new land. Makes Um, sense. Makes sense. Right. Okay. Uh, Spain specifically tells good old Chris here to be nice and loving towards the natives. That's their direction. That's good of them because that's ultimately, well, yeah, anyway. Yeah. You don't so, know how many they're going to have. 1,200 may not be enough at all. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It's, it's probably a good idea to just 
proceed cautiously, right? Yeah, even if your plan is to take over the whole uh, world, you know, the very first landing, especially with only 1,200 men, you don't, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily just start, well, at least to cr- unlike Chris, you don't just start, uh, <laughs> you know, busting heads. Take a um, So he... Uh, I think they make land fall. So this this happens quickly after. Actually, it's November fourteen ninety three. So, just over a year after they had landed the first time, he's back again. Um, yeah, that yeah. So he discovers that I don't think it was all thirty nine people, but those people he left behind, <laughs> they're dead no. now. They're oh dead. yeah, oh, <laughs> they got into some altercations with the natives. <laughs> At least most of them are dead. Um, so that was a failed experiment. That's, yeah, in less than a year. Wow. Yeah. So that, you know, that doesn't go over well with, with old Chris. No. Um, so I don't, it's unclear to me whether they really had much success with the second trip, honestly. Um, and whether they were able to establish anything more permanent or how many people stayed and I'm not not too sure, honestly. Um, but they went back a third time. Um, not too sure on the year. Uh, it, basically, the point of the third trip was to discover South America. Obviously not named as such at the time, but the King of Spain somehow had a hunch about this being there. So it was up to Columbus at this point to, to go find it. Um, and this is where shit really starts to go poorly for him. So his own settlers back in this uh, Bahamas area, they start to rebel against him because they realize that he's misled them this whole time about what the new world is actually like and how great it is, and turns out to, apparently in their opinion, not be so great. Hmm. Um, So they start to rebel against him, and he does some, you know, not-so-great things, like hanging some of them, his own people, and and just doing some shit like that, yeah. Uh, as a vengeful god. Yeah, and his goal is money, so he's still trying to like enslave as many as as many uh, indigenous people as possible because that's god. what he saw okay. as the most fruitful part of this. What what could he have told these people about the new world that they would have believed, such that then when that was not the case, they turn around and, and rebel? Like, did yeah. he was like, yeah, there's running water everywhere, and there's showers, well, it's great. Well. You can go and read some of his actual journal entries, and I have a, a spot here not related to that necessarily, but um, yeah, I think he just really over portrayed how much gold was there. And okay, I suppose that um, that'll make anybody. Just, he just really oversold the opportunity, and then when these people were just then left behind, it was kind of like, okay, what are we really doing here? I got it. Um, and they were just upset with the way because he was. Keep in mind, at this point, he's succeeded in that initial uh, goal, right? So he's governor of these places. He's the ruler of these people in these establishments that he's got right. set up. And um, I suppose it, it probably, it definitely didn't go over well once news made it around that those 30-whatever people were, no, were dead. No, I that think that was a kind of a turning point. Yeah, that didn't. that probably didn't go over well. Um, because he, you know, that was kind of where he then started to have a negative outlook on the indigenous people. Yeah. Um, so he got violent. Yeah. He started to get violent at that point. 
So this is a passage from his own journal entry in 1498. It says, um, <laughs> From here, one might send, in the name of the Holy Trinity, as many slaves as could be sold. So his whole goal here is to enslave as many people as possible because that was, like Makes I said, money. the most money-making thing. Um, God damn it. Yeah, he would use a lot of, like... So he started to use torture and mutilation as a way of governing the native people. So he would make them, you know, go get gold, and if they didn't get gold for him, basically he would, like, cut off body parts and let them bleed out and torture them and, and just really horrible shit. And there was actually a document, apparently, that was discovered in 2006 that supports this. So pretty recent, some 48-page, like, account from people that were actually part of this. Um that can attest to it. Do you ever read uh, Machiavelli's The Prince? Mm-mm. Uh, he talks about being a feared ruler or a loved ruler. Definitely seems like... I have no idea actually when the the two were relative to each other. Mm-hmm. If Machiavelli... I doubt... Eh, actually, he might have written it before Columbus this time. I don't know. But if he did, it sounds like Columbus totally was like, I'm going with the be feared. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, that kind of backfired. Uh, so he did make a... He says it might, the, the <laughs> book. <laughs> when he gets back, yeah, from this, this third journey, um, basically Spain gets word of how, <clears throat> excuse me, how he's treating people and, and what's actually going on. So he's arrested and jailed and removed as governor of the world, the new All world right. that he was put in. Uh, eventually he's set free from jail. He's allowed to make a fourth journey back. Um, kind of much of the same in mind, just trying to discover more land. Again, he's not governor anymore at this point. I'm not even sure the state of the establishments. Um, but it's estimated that, just to put things in perspective, 56 years after he made landfall, uh, there was less than 500 of these Taino native people left. I'm not sure what the starting number is, but 500 is pretty low for an entire population. Right. Um, he died kind of a shitty way. Um, or I guess just a pretty, like, it just wasn't a very glorious death. He was pretty fucked up from these four journeys, like, had gout and arthritis and combinations of those two, I guess. Um just doing those that journey four times so rapidly like that really fucked with him. Uh, he tried to get that 10% earnings back um, from Spain, and they denied him. They said no. Uh, and then he dies in 1506 uh, in Spain, roughly 54 years old, I think. Um, and then his, this is weird. His remains have been passed around quite a bit. And it's not even clear if his remains are in one place right now. Uh, So his remains started in Spain where he died, and then they were shipped to Dominican Republic, then they went to Cuba, and then at least part of it's now back in Spain. That part's confirmed. Um, But they think that part of it's still in the Dominican, but I guess they won't let, you know, people examine it, so it's not really clear whether that's actually true or not. Um, But I think... In concluding his his story, the saddest thing about this entire life is that 
it's widely believed that up until the day he died, he still didn't realize what he really found. He thought until the day he died that he had discovered what? Asia and that Cuba was China, all that. Never, he died without realizing that he had discovered a new. And people told him otherwise, do you know, at this point? Or did, did nobody know? Um, good question. I mean, it's sad, no doubt. It's sad because... Well, well, think I about mean, it. Asshole, I mean, so. not much time has really passed. So 1492, no, only, that, right? Uh... And he dies in 1506. 12, 14 years, rather. It's not right. that much time. And he'd been no, doing journeys not... in between this. So I don't think it was really known. Because basically, it's if you go and look at some of his writings from before he died, he's still referring to what he did as Asia. Hmm. So... Maybe yeah, it could I, be I that people nobody... told him and he was just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, going for a long time here. So, this this part will be shorter. Columbus Day itself. Yeah, I was going to ask about this. Yeah. Um, so, in general, I mean, I guess we really focused there, or I did, on him being kind of a shitty person, but you can see how this is pretty important. I mean, it would have been somebody else if it wasn't him, but basically he's credited with kickstarting like modern globalism. Jeez. Like imperialism, in a way. Yeah, so, I mean, he established like meaningful and lasting connection between the two hemispheres, right? So, um, and everything that's going to come along with that from societal changes, you know, economics, politics, religion, all this stuff, exchanging plants, animals, food, disease, as we know, um, all this stuff. So huge impacts from what he did. Uh, but it's important to say that he wasn't the first one to do it. Um, and this also could be totally another podcast episode. A Viking named Eric the Red. 10th century Viking. He was actually okay. credited, he is credited rather with landing there first, other than potentially any indigenous people that were there when he was there. I'm not sure. And do, do we think he landed on, I suppose what we would call North America or maybe Canada? Uh, I, th- mm, actually, I'm not sure. Good question. Somewhere in the Americas for sure. Some reason I feel like that's the case, but I'm it just... might, I mean, it would make sense, right? He's coming from Iceland, right? Right. So it would be more likely that he would hit somewhere further north. Well, maybe. Well, but those trade winds you were talking about. True. That sounds like it might be in the wrong direction. Anyway, doesn't matter. So either way, they made contact first, but it just didn't have that lasting impact by right. comparison. Drove by, said hello, and kind of right. Um, well, I imagine that uh, that second trip there of mm-hmm. twelve hundred people really. Yeah, I think all of them. That all of them did not die. Right, right. They mm-hmm. didn't all die. No, I don't think so. And I, I maybe should have collected a little more information on that second trip because maybe that one really solidified things. Um, that was the intent, at least. Mm-hmm, it definitely was the intent. Um. So Columbus Day itself. Why did we uh, maybe? I don't think he said, but why did we actually make it a holiday? Or is it just because it was such a big deal? Well, it's actually report or it's uh, celebrated worldwide. 
Uh, Interesting. Well, not necessarily worldwide. Not every you know yeah. nation, but um, Europe as well. Certainly not mean? just the U.S. Uh, yeah. So um, Columbus Day in the U.S. It's pronounced. Oof, I'll try. <laughs> uh, in some Latin American countries, it's Dia de la Raza, Day of the Race, is what that stands for. Okay. Um, other places it's called like Day of the Americas, things like that. Um, but most of the information about the holiday itself I collected on, on the U.S. Um, so kind of the earliest recordings of celebration was 1793 in New York City. Um, and there had been, uh, known celebrations of like the 300th, 400th, and 500th year anniversaries of him making landfall. So there had been these huh. kind of like centennial celebrations. Um, interesting. And, yeah, which is interesting. So it's been kind of there for a while, but in the U.S., uh, Italian Americans just kind of started celebrating it as part of their heritage. Okay. As kind of a just thing. And then actually in your state of Colorado was the first. Um, state to make it a holiday in 1905 uh, so in the grand scheme of things not that far or long ago no not at all yeah so it became a statutory holiday in 1907 and then it was a federal holiday as of 1934 so that was under fdr um so it just kind of progressed um and then it's been fixed on the second monday of october since 1971 Yeah, so it just kind of like, I don't know, it just kind of started to spread, I guess. It's um, interesting how I'm thinking about the people that were celebrating this at the 100-year intervals. The idea of making the landfall and discovering the land is like what they're celebrating, I think. Yeah, but it you... is. It is. And it's weird because these were like these were like big conventions as far as I understand. Like these, these centennial... Um, you know, celebrations were, like, quite a spectacle. It wasn't just, like, localized things. It was... They were large gatherings, from what I understand. I can't say much more than that, but... Right. Um, well, and then nowadays, at least as you, and I, certainly myself, I would imagine yourself, mostly probably because of the fact that we call it Columbus Day, mm -hmm. I think of it about much more the, the dude. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I really we have think... That, we have that little rhyme, 1492, Sail the Ocean Blue and all that. Yeah. And that is ultimately, it's a combination, I guess, of uh -huh. discovering the Americas, but also him. Yeah, it does put a sense. lot of weight on him. You're right. Right. But really, like I said, I think it could have been anybody. It just, it was him. But really what, yeah, should be being celebrated is, is the the connection of the worlds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so at least in the U.S., it's going to go... the. <laughs> That's why I asked you at the beginning how you're going to celebrate. Um, it kind of varies from state to state, you know, parades happening all the way over to, you know, nothing at all. Um, interestingly, there are six states that explicitly do not recognize Columbus Day. Ooh, um, I'm going to try to guess. <laughs> you want to guess? I just want to try to guess. It's a random list, one. actually. I, I imagine it is. Uh, there's got to be a southern state like. Oh, uh, Mississippi? Mm -mm. Damn. All right, go ahead. You want to guess one more? There's one. Uh, there's actually one on here that sort of makes sense. 
sort of. Not really. Just like I can California. see California. Uh close actually Oregon is on there okay <laughs> I, I was thinking California because it's on the wrong side of everything as in relation to where he landed so they're like <laughs> they're just the like, least yeah, they're they the least investing <laughs> okay, um, the one that I was gonna say kind of makes sense is Vermont only in the sense that they kind of a pretty liberal state I guess so their reasons oh, okay. for not wanting to celebrate it are because of how shitty he is um, Alaska, Florida, Hawaii, Oregon, South Dakota, Vermont. Hmm. Um, so Hawaii, oh, Hawaii, Hawaii takes my example and <laughs> or my my reasoning yeah. to the to the conclusion. So Hawaii celebrates Discoverer's Day. So they place it on the same day, but what they're celebrating is the Polynesian discovery of Hawaii instead. So sweet. Yeah, it makes sense. I don't know any details on that discovery. If it was a bloodbath, like you know what we just talked about but i hope not <laughs> hopefully not probably not if they're electing to Recognize replace it. it rather than just get rid of columbus day um vermont celebrates indigenous people's day that's what they call it so they're they switch to celebrating the people that were you know native americans basically okay um and then that was adopted by oregon in 2017 uh south dakota uh, south dakota celebrates Native American Day, so similar. Um, yeah, so basically, you know, Columbus Day is still celebrated. If you really are celebrating the connection of the world, and like, totally, that makes sense to me. Um, in reality, it's just a holiday that's been around now for 100 years, so people are like, it's a day off from work. Probably what's happening. Um but I think the people in these six states probably, you know, being explicitly against it, it's just a combination of his shitty behavior. Um, and yeah, I think it's just how he treated the people and, and who he was as a right. person. Right. Um, but in, in learning that it got me thinking, you know, okay, I understand that. Um, but you really need to, when you're thinking about this, consider the times he lived in, right? We're looking at this through a 2018 Modern lens, lines. right? Yeah. Um, so maybe some of the things were more commonplace. I mean, it sounds horrible to say that, but maybe it was. I'm sure, I'm positive, in fact, that cultural differences and mm -hmm. whatnot would ex at least work towards explaining or making it more understandable why certain mm -hmm. decisions were made. So I'm going to end it with this because I, in thinking that, I then found this writing. So this comes from a priest that was apparently there in the lands that Columbus was governing. This is, it's, quote, somebody that a modern historian is quoting this guy's writing, so it's written in that sense. But this is directly from the time. So it says, <laughs> uh, let me see where I want to start. Uh, da, 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 da. So the Catholic priest... Bartholomew something something, can't say the rest of his name, who observed the region where Columbus was governor. In contrast to the myth, Solomon, this modern-day historian, quotes this guy and describes, um, or he describes Spaniards driven by insatiable greed, uh, killing, terrorizing, afflicting, and torturing the native peoples with the strangest and most varied new methods of cruelty. 
and how systematic oh. violence was aimed at preventing American Indians from daring to think of themselves as human beings. The Spaniards thought nothing of knifing American Indians by tens and twenties and cutting off slices of them to test the sharpness of their blades. My eyes have seen these acts so foreign to human nature, and now I tremble as I write. Damn. So that was written by somebody who witnessed this. So I was thinking, okay, maybe this was more accepted, but then here's somebody in the contemporary time writing how fucking horrible this was. Well, that's at least good to hear. So it, my conclusion is that this guy was pretty shitty. <laughs> Pretty crazy, right? Well, that, I mean, that was I, I, that was a powerful thing to read when, yeah, I, when I found is. that. Yeah, and I mean it makes sense too uh, because Spain, apparently at least according to uh, your sources, mm -hmm. um, told them not to be a dick. Yeah, they did. True. Uh, yeah, that plays into that too. So yeah, Columbus I'm Day, everybody, Monday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be going to work. Unfortunately. <laughs> so. Well, I learned more about Columbus Day in researching that than yeah. I thought I ever would. So it's funny and you brought up the shipbuilding thing, or you went you went that direction because mm -hmm. I have a couple thoughts written down here and there about ships and shipbuilding, and not my own thoughts, but in re relation to the podcast um, that you want to talk about now. No, 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 no. Just I've always it's one of those things that's been on my list. Is like okay. that would probably be that would probably be cool to go check out. You know what's funny about this is I have Columbus slash Columbus Day written on the very first list of topics that I've started to write down in <laughs> February, um, and I've saved it. Initially, I didn't do it just because I did other things first, but then as this day got right. closer, I was like, I'm going to save it. <laughs> there you go. All right, y'all. All right. Well, uh, go ahead. Um, what was that? Two weeks ago, I suppose, at this point, uh, we released a wandering berry center lyric edition podcast mm -hmm. which is a different idea that alex came up with sort of take the flavor of the normal wandering berry center style you know preparing topics away from each other and coming together except this time we do it with uh with songs that uh, we pick mm -hmm. and we sort of evaluate the the lyrics away from each other and come together and yep. and talk about it so the first edition of that came out uh, on the 23rd of september so definitely go check that out let us mm -hmm. know if that's a good idea, if that's a bad idea, um, I think it'll be obvious that we had fun doing it. Yeah. I think we're going to try that again. You know, yeah, obviously gonna... not this episode, yeah. but the, the next one maybe might be that as well. Yep. So go check that out. Um, Twitter, Instagram, wanderingberrycenter at gmail.com. Um, also shirts on Amazon. Oh yeah. Just search for wandering berry center. We'll yeah. We're the only ones. We're the only ones out there. <laughs> there is one other weird item that shows up. Not a weird item, just a random, totally unrelated item. But what the rest that? of it's the shirts, so you'll notice it. I, I, I looked the other day, I didn't notice. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we don't have to pay any longer. Thanks for listening. Yep.